We're on a mission from God. Wendy? So I got that going. Darling? Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing blue. Light of my life. We enjoy your films. I am a human being. I thought they smelled bad on the outside. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're rewatching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in real time, overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today marks the 40th anniversary of the release of The Apple on November 21st, 1980. It was written by Menahem Golan, based on a story by Kobe and Iris Recht, directed by Golan, and released by The Cannon Group. This is our third Golan Globus production after Happy Hooker Goes Hollywood and Schizoid, and we still have New Year's Evil coming later this year. The trailer for The Apple appeared within the film Happy Hooker Goes Hollywood earlier this year. Don't miss The Apple, coming soon to a Warcraft Brothers Theater near you. Boy, am I going to enjoy not saying this. <laughs> In 1975, screenwriter Kobe Recht, a successful Israeli rock producer, was signed to a label and was off-put by the label's founder and based the character of Boogaloo on him. Iris, his wife, wrote the story as a book and her husband Kobe wrote the music for it. The project was originally written in 1977 as a Hebrew stage production and it was obscenely expensive. Nobody would touch it because of all the massive numbers. There's like 15 songs in yeah. the movie. Recht had known Golan since he was nine, performing in shows at an Israel-based children's theater that Golan directed. Golan got a hold of the script and decided to direct and produce it himself. Golan took a swing at rewriting it, and he took out a lot of the Orwellian stuff and made it a lot sillier than it started. Well, I don't know if he set out to make it silly. It, no, it but became he did silly. make it silly. <laughs> yeah. Songwriter George S. Clinton was brought on to translate the yeah. songs from Hebrew to English. The film was shot in West Berlin as a tax shelter. Most of the extras were cast from the American High School in Berlin and paid 50 marks a day. Yeah, I was looking at the architecture, uh, especially the the underground like kind of subway train platform they go underneath. I was yeah. like, yeah. "Oh, this is this is Germany." Yep, yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, and I was just looking at every name in the cast. I'm like, "Oh, this is Germany." <laughs> <laughs> it was released in Europe in '79 under the title Star Rock. The film had a number of disastrous screenings. When it played at the 1980 Montreal Film Festival, people were booing halfway through, and director Golan left the theater intending to commit suicide by Aww. jumping off his hotel balcony, but his business partner stopped him. At the premiere in Hollywood's Paramount Theater, the audience was given free souvenir soundtracks and started frisbeeing them at the screen, completely <laughs> describing the screen <laughs> oh, of the theater. No. <laughs> oh, that is awesome, though. Yeah. <laughs> We open with a crowd forming outside the World Vision Song Festival, which is obviously this universe's parody of the Eurovision contest. I recognized a bunch of these locations from their recent reuse and the movie Atomic Blonde, specifically the Messendom Underpass. It's all over the Atomic Blonde trailer, which I only recognize so well because I was an assistant editor on the trailer. <laughs> yeah, I was like, you, you know this too well. <laughs> we cut to a live performance inside where a pair of singers in futuristic reflective clothes sing about the BIM. These two are named Pandy and Dandy. The first couplet they sing seems to be an intentional avoiding the rhyme as a joke. There ain't no good, there ain't no bad, there 
happiness. There ain't no tears. (laughs) Come on. You know how that went. A guy on the side of the stage wearing shades and surrounded by a 360 keyboard like he's Zorak occasionally tosses in an extremely deep-voiced To the beam. <laughs> they wrap up the first song, and we cut to Mr. Boogalow, the president of the label. He wanders into the control room where an assistant named Shake is monitoring the audience reaction to the performance. He's measuring it in heartbeats? Yeah, there's a bunch of different metrics. In the, in the distant future... We are able to record excitement, tension, pulse rates, and heartbeats all by camera, apparently. We cut back to the stage, and it turns out, no, they're not done singing the song yet. (laughs) When the song ends, Shake informs Mr. Boogalow that they have finished the track with 150 heartbeats. Everyone seems very excited by this number. Even though there's probably 600 people in the audience. Yeah. I, I don't know what 150 it heartbeats It must be an means, average. I, I, I guess. I'm guessing it's an average, which sounds like a, a lot of heartbeats on average. I guess. <laughs> I mean, if, if one guy is just kind of okay and the other one's at like 200, we got something to worry yeah. about. <laughs> Gentlemen, I predict our beam song is going to take this competition by storm. <laughs> <laughs> Right away, he puts another man named Ashley in charge of developing BIM merchandise. Something like BIM t-shirts. T-shirts. <laughs> Ashley, use your imagination. This is 1994. <laughs> We're very prominent about what year it is yes. on multiple occasions. Yep. <laughs> I, in fact, I wasn't sure what the logo in the back of the concert was supposed to be until they reminded me that it was 1994. And, and I looked like, at him and goes, oh, it's that. 1994. <laughs> Next up, Alfie and Bibi take the stage to sing their folk track entitled Love, the Universal Melody. It's slow and understated compared to the previous song, and the crowd is booing right away, but they slowly develop an emotional reaction to it. You're the light within my darkness. You're my shelter from the storm. Shake in the control booth can't believe what he's seeing on the heartbeat monitor. Hey, Bob, what's going on? Well, as you can see, they're starting to climb. Mr. Boogalow wants to know who these kids are, and Shake says, And they're nobodies, I swear. They're just a couple of kids from Moose Jaw. Which is in Canada. Yeah. This song is, this song, I think, out of all of them, a lot of them are, are kind of disco-y, but this song sounds the most 70s to me. But it yes. makes more sense to me now that you say that it was written, actually, m- years before it was produced into a movie because it kind of accounts for the fact that this music feels very tainted. Yes. <laughs> Mr. Boogalow can sense the crowd's reaction to the song, but Shake insists they won't rank over 150 heartbeats, just as they cross the line to 151. Not about to lose this contest, Mr. Boogalow instructs shake to play the red tape but like when they cut to the audience like so at, so at first the audience is really upset about this mm-hmm. they're like booing yeah. this thing and then and then they, they calmed out and then apparently they like it but they're all very calm and still and just quietly listening with a 150 rate yeah. 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 and i'm like what is happening i don't understand what, how this is ranging in yeah, that level. I don't know why this, their hearts would be beating faster for this very slow-paced <laughs> love song. But they're into it. <laughs> but Shake grabs this red cassette tape from inside of his jacket pocket and he gives it to a man in the control booth and says, play this over the house speakers. And it's just this weird chiming alarm. And 
it's overpowering the music on stage and then the crowd is instantly furious and just ready to like destroy the set right so i'm super unclear on this point because i'm like are we supposed to like think that this is some sort of like device that subconsciously affects their opinion of it i or think is so it, because they can't they actually... hear it on stage okay yeah. so they're not presumably this is being broadcast or something yeah they, the they keep doing inserts of the speakers in, over the yeah. audience so i think it's just being broadcast down on them and it's just an aggravating noise that sets but them the, off but the people in the audience don't actually hear anything they're just upset yes yeah. okay and, think, and they don't I know think why that's the so case. They just... i think it's a subconscious thing okay because otherwise you're just like you would just be mad that they you're ruined just like, why this is performance. that what, yeah did someone pull a fire alarm <laughs> well and but i've been trying to figure out what like the meaning of behind like red tape because like red tape is a an expression for bureaucracy and... yeah um but this didn't seem like it was like getting through the red tape or no, it's just creating red tape. It is creating tape red, is red tape, though. We're going to prevent these people from succeeding with uh, the red tape. But their booing offsets the heartbeat meter, taking Alfie and BB down in the rankings. They were at 165 or something, and then suddenly they're down to 90, 70, 50. BB is so embarrassed by the booing that she runs off stage before Alfie's even done playing the guitar. She just abandons him in the middle of the stage. Won't yeah. be the first time. No. <laughs> The press surround Mr. Bugalo on his way out of the theater, peppering him with questions in three different languages, French, German, and Italian. He answers them all fluently in their own languages. Before he's even gotten home from the show, he learns from a reporter that the government has adopted the BIM song as a part of the National Fitness Program. One of the reporters, a man named Joe Pittman from the Daily Post, asks about that other song that looked like it might win the contest for a moment. Mr. Bugalo is clearly upset to hear it mentioned and asks the man to elaborate. Yeah, people say that this whole competition was rigged. Ah, you may pin what you just said, Joe Pittman, and you'll find yourself in the unemployment line tomorrow morning. How about that? Mr. Bugalo gives Dandy and Pandy big hugs outside of the rap party. Ashley, who was put in charge of merchandising the BIM song, has somehow already created triangular glasses for them to drink out of. They're just flower vases. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and I can't imagine that is practical to drink out of that because no. you'd have to drink it out of the corner of yeah. the glass so yeah. it doesn't spill all over you. And then you're like jamming a corner into a your sharp mouth. sharp corner into your <laughs> mouth. <laughs> Mr. Bugalo raises a toast to the BIM, but we cut away before anyone has to drink out of one of these weird glasses. Mr. Bugalo invited Alfie and BB to the party, but Alfie's trying to talk BB out of going. She insists that they need an agent and that he might sign them. Back in the party, people are crowding around a BIM-branded pinball table. But it's, I don't know that, it's got a triangle on it, but it says Paragon. Yeah, it says Paragon at the mm -hmm. top, and the rest of it is all that reflective yeah, it's holographic got the, yeah, sticker. Yeah, the, the holographic triangles. And is it is a BIM-ball machine, thank you very much. <laughs> okay, sorry. Yikes. Then Ashley unveils his next invention, the BIM Mark, a small holographic triangular sticker that you place anywhere on your body to indicate your appreciation for the BIM. Mr. Bugalo orders Ashley to apply BIM marks to everyone at the party immediately. When we saw this at the New Beverly for Diablo Cody's festival, they were handing out BIM marks at the door, and everyone wore them throughout the film. <laughs> it was great. Alfie and BB arrive, and Mr. Bugalo introduces them to Pandy and Dandy, Mr. Bugalo offers Alfie an enormous glass of champagne. It's like a margarita glass, but it's full no, it's to like, the top of champagne. It's not just a margarita glass. It's like a, a novelty size margarita yes, yeah. glass. I've, I've drank a margarita this size before. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you're typical. <laughs> I actually have a gigantic 
like martini glass. Yeah. Like it's like this big around. It's weird because you don't drink. I don't drink, <laughs> but I have somehow have acquired this gigantic martini glass. But Alfie tells Mr. Boogalow here that he does not drink. Uh, this is based on when screenwriter and rock star uh, Kobe wrecked worked in the music business how disgusted he was with all the substance abuse that went on behind the scenes dandy takes bb up to a rooftop garden and offers her drugs i've never been so high in my life you're joking here try one of these what are they just little pills they won't harm you <laughs> and then she takes yeah one. she just takes <laughs> one immediately I'm like what that's all the explanation yeah. you need <laughs> Dandy mocks BB repeatedly for living in the middle of nowhere, and when she's finally offended about it, he goes in for the kiss. The entire party erupts with laughter because they can see them kissing from downstairs somehow. The entire party devolves into a song and dance number. Dandy is trying to woo BB. She resists his charms for most of the song, not realizing that most of his charm was from the pill she took. But by the end of the song, she is surrendering to him. You know, like there was a storyline here where he's trying to woo her, and we, I feel like we drop it almost immediately. Like, yeah, I, I, they don't really follow this through in the movie. That's true. Yeah, there's they don't really have a, much of a relationship. Yeah, in the rest of the story. yeah, which is weird when his introductory song is like "You Were Made for Me." Yeah, <laughs> but this seems like it should have happened, or this song should have happened later in the movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. he kisses her again to finish the song, but Alfie drags her away, and they leave the party. The next day, we see Mr. Boogalow's car pull up to the Boogalow International Music Headquarters, which of course spells BIM. Alfie and BB argue over the terms of Mr. Boogalow's contract. The guy's a shark. He'll eat us alive. He's just an agent. He doesn't own us. He's only taking 50%. <laughs> That's a lot. So this is an airport, right? Like, I am certain. I think most of this movie is an airport. <laughs> I am so certain that this is an airport because Because it's all escalators. There's escalators and- everywhere mm-hmm. and there's just really terrible carpeting but i actually (laughs) like the way it looks as a futuristic music studio sure yeah sure because they put these labels over each of the escalators that's like music rights (laughs) whatever at bim headquarters they're instructed to take a seat in the lobby with everyone else waiting to see mr boogalow they sit between a businessman and a clown in a row of chairs that look like the ones you'd find at an airport terminal when (laughs) alfie turns to the guy not dressed like a clown and says what are you a clown Why, why would you ask him that because it's the future, Pat. Oh. <laughs> this isn't normal attire. Oh, it's not. The man says that he is the manager of Ballet 2000, and we kick off another music number. A troupe of dancers in the 1980s interpretation of 1994 perform their interpretation of the year 2000 in dance. <laughs> this is the first song where Mr. Boogalow gets in on the vocals, though he's not singing, it's just spoken word. I really like the musical arrangement behind it, though. Like a puppet on the string. Like a monkey on a swing. Men is clinging to the ropes of the fantasies and hopes we are dangling. Mr. Boogalow! <laughs> the clown tries to get his attention as he leaves frame. Everyone makes really intense eye contact with the camera for yes. like yeah. this entire song. It's very awkward. And, and there's so much like glitter and tinsel that it's just all over the yeah. ground yeah. throughout the whole rest of the numbers. You probably still it find it at whatever yeah. airport this all, was. All of these numbers have an absurd number of people in them. Yes. And they're all dressed to the nines. We have like showgirl looking people. We have 
uh, people that just look like they're straight out of you know Rocky Horror Picture Show. Like they're 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 all over the map. That's definitely what they were going for stylistically. Yeah. They thought they were repeating the success of that. Well, th- there's a lot of this that has that essence. I think that they succeeded on a lot of levels yeah. with that. And none of the sets are half-assed. Yeah. Everything looks like they put in as much effort as they possibly could. Yeah. When it looks bad, it's just because, okay, well, you didn't have the money for this, but you put in as much effort as you could. It never looks like they're being lazy about yeah. it. The lyrics get a little more crowded for the chorus, though. Life is nothing but show business in 1994. We fight for the spotlight. We The clown from earlier introduces an act called The Incredible Shrinking Man, a guy in a full top and tails tuxedo walks behind a statue, and then a little person in the same costume walks out from behind it. The voice of the clown for this part is an old-fashioned announcer-type accent, and it sounds almost exactly like the guy who sings One Night in Bangkok from the musical Chess. <laughs> See the incredible shrieking man! Watch him before you rise as he grows smaller and smaller and But he only shrinks once, though. Well, but it's a really tall guy, and he really goes behind guy. an object, and out comes a very sh- small yes. guy. <laughs> How they do that? I don't know. I can't figure it out. <laughs> At the end of one camera move, Mr. Boogalow slaps Shake across the face and then turns to wink into camera, and it really works. Everything Mr. Boogalow does in this movie works 100%. His mannerisms are fabulous. Yeah. He winks again for the climax of the song, while dancers carry him away in a T-pose. When Alfie and Bibi get to Mr. Boogalow's office, he immediately offers them separate contracts to sign. Alfie asks if he can at least read the contracts first, and Mr. Boogalow says, yeah, that's fine, but you have an appointment in 20 minutes with your new costume designer. Boogalow also informs them that they'll be speaking with the press momentarily, and then he picks up this awesome ruby phone on his desk and tells someone that they're ready, and then presses a button to just open the wall to reveal a bunch of journalists who just pile out to interview them and take photos while they sign their contracts. Yeah, this office is super elaborate, too. Alfie asks for 24 hours to make a decision, but they tell him that Mr. Boogalow is too busy selling their album already. But we haven't even made one yet. (laughs) First you sell it, then you make it. That's marketing. (laughs) Such a great line. (laughs) Which is funny because, like, that's Menahem Golan's entire, like, that's how he worked when they were making this film. They originally it was supposed to be like four million dollar budget and he would just disappear for a weekend and come back with another million dollar commitment from someone like he just traveled randomly around Europe and sold the rights to it in different places and came back with more money. I'm not sure if it's on purpose, but Alfie has never said Mr. Boogaloo's name correctly. He keeps saying Boogaloo Boogaloo for the entire movie. Mr. Boogaloo, Mr. Boogaloo, surely we can sign next week. Well, and sometimes even Mr. Boogalow says it wrong. I mean, to be honest, though, Elfie, for being from Mooseport, has a very unusual accent. Yes, he it's does. not Canadian. No, it sounds, I don't know. Probably German? Yeah, maybe. I, I don't think he's from Germany, no? though. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like everybody who wasn't our main characters here was from Germany. I, I got kind of an Australian taste from it, but yeah. it might even be South African. I don't know what it is. Upon learning that they will begin a coast-to-coast tour in California tomorrow, Bibi hurriedly signs her contract. While Alfie watches this happen, he hallucinates an earthquake destroying the office. After his vision, everything returns to normal, and no one seems to acknowledge what happened. He thinks it's a sign from God. When Alfie moves to sign his contract, the lights dim and lightning strikes outside. The curtains are blowing into the room, and it kind of looks like Dana Barrett's apartment. 
except for this time the skyline outside is very clearly just cardboard. <laughs> we fade to flames and then back up in Alfie's vision of hell, I guess. Yeah. Alfie and BB are suddenly dressed like Adam and Eve, and Mr. Boogalow stands between them with a devil's horn just on one side and a cape. And then BB is magically redressed in this shimmering gown, but Alfie has to stay in his ivy thong. Apparently, this isn't a hallucination because Boogalow walks them into this full room with the rest of the characters, and he places BB's hand in Dandy's. To complete the biblical metaphor, suddenly Shake and Mr. Boogalow are calling for servants to deliver the master's hors d'oeuvre, the apple. Boogalow is pronouncing the hell out of this word hors d'oeuvre. Yeah. He's like, hors d'oeuvre. Bring the hors d'oeuvre, our special hors d'oeuvre, my special hors d'oeuvre. But Shake is the snake here. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So he's got this big snake head on. And I got to mention that Boogaloo has a very excellent glitter beard. Oh, yes. It's beautiful. <laughs> glitter beards before they were popular. Yeah. The crew all urge BB to taste the apple. There are monsters and mutants and faceless people. And another song begins. It reminds me a lot of Everybody Needs Somebody from the Blues Brothers earlier this year. Magic apple, mystery apple, take a little ride, let me be your guide through the apple paradise. There's a great makeup right at the, the there's a guy front and center of like the little chorus line that we have going on and he's yeah. got it he's got two heads and it's yeah. just fabulous and yeah I'm, and it, i'm like i know why you were put front and center because this is great it, yeah. it reminded me a lot of the scene in caligula when there were the, the woman sex- had two faces yeah but it's also like this massive set yeah so like just like in caligula in the sex dungeon where there's like all these freaks and weirdness going on it seemed exactly like this yeah it's just as much excess as you can fit and into it's the frame. crazy because they this this is for one scene in the movie, and we have this giant full stage of like caves. We and do reuse stairs. this set though. Oh, do we? Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! It's yep. yeah. Okay, I got it. <laughs> the whole song is just Dandy convincing BB to try this apple. Magic apple, mystery apple. Take a little ride. Let me be your guide. But my favorite lyric comes in the first section when he says, "It's a natural, natural, natural desire." Meet an actual, actual, actual vampire. And then a vampire pops up in the yeah, screen. <laughs> it's wonderful. She's wearing full vampire makeup and she's just accenting the fangs with her hand gestures. Alfie tries to stop BB, but Dandy throws him off the stage and he's rushed away by some of the other monsters. BB does this crazy move where she holds herself straight like a stick and then just falls flat backwards. But when people catch her, they like roll her back up and she pops back up straight like a stick upside down like it looks like they're handing a mannequin across a crowd but when at the end of the shot she kind of loosens up a little bit you could tell it's actually the actress doing it so i don't even know how they did this it looks really incredible but at the end of the song bb is about to take a bite from the apple and then we fade back up in the room where the contract is being signed so this was all another dream i just thought that it was going on for too long to be another hallucination right no, it's just a heavy-handed metaphor. Yes, That's all. <laughs> very heavy-handed. Alfie tosses his contract on Mr. Boogalow's desk and walks out of the building. Bibi tries to follow him out, but Dandy and Pandy stop her and convince her to stay with them. I like the moment that he's about to leave because the two, the two henchmen guys, who are great by the way, yes, um, they the have, two bald guys. Yeah, yeah, they have like fangs and um, just in their bottom jaws. Just, yeah, the bottom jaws have fangs, and nobody else in like. The, the real world has this so it's kind of weird like yeah. people in the fantasy dreamlands or 
you know, whatever these are, have crazy makeup, but they're the only ones in the real world that yes. have actual like face prosthetics. Yeah. Uh, but when when Alfie's trying to leave, they s- kind of stop him, look back at Boogalo, and Boogalo gives him a little nod, and they're like, "All right," and they let him yeah, go. Yeah, you're good to go. Next, we start a sort of reggae-sounding song where Mr. Boogalo brags about what a good master he is. It's very uncomfortable. So uncomfortable. The song is made more uncomfortable by the fact that all of the backup vocals are being provided by the two African-American actors in yes. the team. The song continues to play over a montage of B.B. transforming into a rock star. On the way to a car, B.B. is hounded by reporters, and all of her answers are defaulting to Mr. Boogalow. Oh, he's in charge of everything I do. He tells me where I go. They ask if she has plans to marry, and Mr. Boogalow says she's already married. Married? To the bim. Now we cut to B.B.'s first solo effort, a song about nationalism and drug abuse. America, the land of the free. Is shooting up with pure energy and every day she has to take more speed <laughs> honestly the set design for this whole movie has been pretty wonderful and the stage she's performing on now is no exception there's motorcycles lining both sides of the stage there's fog machines and lasers galore everywhere Everyone's it's very cool dressed looking. in leather and studs yeah and- th- they're going all out constantly the next day, we see a woman walking home with groceries when she gets a ticket for not wearing a BIM mark, which is apparently obligatory now. She heads into her home to wake up her tenant? Son? It's Alfie. Yeah, yeah. I was very confused by this for a while. Yeah, I'm still not certain. <laughs> and she's only credited as landlady. Yeah. Well, yeah, so I looked that up after the moment in which he grabs her boobs. Right. <laughs> like, but, wait a minute. <laughs> so Alfie here has apparently slept past noon, and he blames her alarm clock for it because they share an alarm clock. So it's not like they're in separate apartments. I think if he's if he's just a tenant, he's literally paying to sleep on her couch no, in her house. No, I, I don't know if that's the case if he's living in her apartment i feel like it's one of those situations like the old school apartments where there is a landlady that takes care of several apartments but mm-hmm. she's more like uh, a housekeeper in addition but she to being provides a, the alarm clock you know yeah. like in uh like in sherlock holmes when the the lady takes care of yeah. right okay you know, and complains or, or about his in habits. Phobia. phobia i was gonna say yeah, yeah. yeah. Where she's like popping in every once in a while like do you want any tea has yeah. anyone exploded <laughs> He gets up quickly to dress and tells her that he wrote a new song last night. She tells him about the new Bimmark law, and he says he's not going to follow that one. She wants his money by the end of the week. It's apparently overdue. The woman admits to Alfie that she heard him writing the song and that she kind of liked it. She sings a bit, and he sneaks up on her and grabs her boobs and says, <laughs> I knew that I'd be a hard enough bosom of yours. No, you stop that! Go away! Go away! He sits her down and plays the finished song for her. It sounds like a straight ripoff of a few Beatles songs, predominantly While My Guitar Gently Weeps. Yeah, that's exactly what I thought of when I heard this song. I walked through a world of deceit and decay Full of faces with sad, frightened eyes The same look she gave me when she walked away And was trapped in the web of their lies as Alfie walks around in public, he sees baby strollers that are triangular shaped, and everyone's wearing bim marks as he passes a bim burger. I love these bim buggies. I yeah. think this is the best, the best product placement. <laughs> it's like they've 
branded a triangle as their yeah, like right. literally yeah. every triangle is now a BIM reference. Yep. Suddenly he's in a recording studio and at the end of the song, the people in the booth tell him it's not what they're looking for. Later in the day he gets a citation for not wearing a BIM mark and he tears up the ticket just as an announcement comes over the public PA system. Attention! Attention, please, good citizens. It is now one minute to four o'clock. Time to stop ordinary activities and prepare for the national BIM hour. All traffic must pull over and stop immediately. BIM exercises commence in 40 seconds. Join in the national fitness program. We see cars pulling over on the freeway, and all the passengers get out. Firefighters put down their hoses beside a burning building to participate in these mandated exercises. Yeah. There's a guy doing surgery, and they just stop in the middle of surgery. Even the guy on the table being operated on, like, tries to do the dance. Further instructions dictate that all machines must be turned off, so a Coca-Cola factory grinds to a halt, and the surgeons are even turning off the machines that are helping their patient breathe so that they can participate in this fitness program. Here we get the most blatant Orwell reference. At the end of the announcement, it says, The National Fitness Program is watching you. I also really like the cars. How It looks like that car that Homer designed. Yes. There's like a yeah. bubble over the top of it. Yes. They all dance to the Hey, 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 Bim's on the Way song, but it's literally just that part of the chorus repeating over and over and over again for the hour. Yeah, but I have to say two things about this. One, nobody is doing this reluctantly. They've right, all, they all look very they're excited. They're all into it. So I'm like, is it really that bad? They're all like putting 110% into this choreography. And number two, they're all really fit and trim and very good at dancing. So yeah. I think that it's really working. It they should keep be. the BIM hour. Yeah, keep taking speed and keep doing the BIM hour. <laughs> we'll all be better off for it. After the song, we see crowds of autograph hounds approaching Pandy and Dandy and then BB. Dandy seems jealous of her following, but we only get this brief hint of it here, and it never comes back. But Pandy does get in a pretty solid dig. She says to Dandy, The king is dead. God save the queen. Oh, right. Mm -hmm. Alfie calls out to BB here, but they load her in the car before they can speak with each other. A pair of bald guards with fangs in their lower jaws just beat the shit out of Alfie and leave him on the street all bloodied. BB is dragged against her will into the room that she's living in now, which is like... A, a penthouse in the mm-hmm. BIM headquarters. She sings a ballad for Alfie. Alfie, where are you now? Will I ever see your face again? You tried to set me free. Knowing all along your love was no match for their evil, you came after me. As they duet the rest of the song from different locations, they both consider suicide in their lyrics to escape the situation. They both cry out of windows in the rain. <laughs> I love these heavy-handed metaphors. Yeah. They're so great. <laughs> Alfie drinks himself unconscious until his tenant, mother, older sister, aunt, new girlfriend <laughs> wake him up. It looks like she had to bust down the door to get in here and check on him. She says that he owes her a new door. <laughs> it's like, what? You broke into my apartment. This is why I think they're literally living in the same unit, because otherwise she wouldn't have had to break down the door. It's like he locked her out. Yeah, maybe. But I like what she says here, that she doesn't want him to kill himself because she doesn't want to have to explain it to the police that she didn't kill him for the rent. Yeah. (laughs) And then she feeds him chicken soup here on the couch like he's a baby. Yeah, but this chicken soup looks gross. Yeah, it's very green. Yeah, it's very weird. (laughs) It looks more like pea soup. He asks if BB's called for him while he's been out, and she suggests that he go find her. Alfie crashes a party at the BIM building, and Pandy orders him a drink at the bar. 
The two journalists from the World Vision Festival, Jean-Louis and Joe Pittman, are now bartenders here. It turns out Mr. Boogalow bought the periodicals they both write for. I'm Joe Pittman. <laughs> yeah, he's very excited to tell people. He's like a Pokemon. <laughs> Alf- <laughs> Alfie demands Mr. Boogalow release BB from her contract and he refuses. Suddenly he looks like the devil again with the horn and the cape and music starts. Alfie keeps chugging Pandy's weird green drinks that she keeps handing him and uh, his vision starts to get real blurry and now it's Pandy's turn to sing a solo song seducing Alfie. The lyrics here are extremely blatant even compared to the other songs in this movie. Make it harder and harder and faster and faster and when you think you can keep it up I'll take you deeper and deeper and tighter and tighter While Pandy and Alfie have sex, he dreams of ten couples dancing in beds all synchronized with each other. Alfie stumbles out of the room later and finds all the doors locked. He bursts through a glass door into a bedroom where BB and Dandy are sharing a bed. BB tells him to go away. And I can't tell if this is actually happening, but I think it is. Yeah, I think it yeah. is. Yeah, because she's upset about it later that he saw that. Yeah. Alfie wakes up screaming for BB in the park, sleeping in grass. An old man wakes him up and... A chorus of children start mocking him. <laughs> He's like he has like ten kids that he just like wandered like, into the. Who are these children and who is this yeah. man that is yeah. collecting children? <laughs> the old man invites Alfie to have breakfast with him and the kids. They all belong to a commune in the park. Back at the BIM building, BB tells Pandy that she had a strange dream, and Pandy says, "Oh, that wasn't a dream. Yeah, Alfie was here. He loves you, and you should go find him." Yeah. Now I'm I'm suddenly on your side now. Yeah, because yep. I think after she raped Alfie, she <laughs> suddenly grew a conscience. Like that's how good his loving was. <laughs> a caravan of police cars crash the commune party in the park. They tell Alfie to get out of the park because it's not open yet for today. They're like, the park doesn't open until 7. Then you guys can all commune here and eat your weird sandwiches. And start and start <laughs> random fires. Yeah. Everybody leave leaves like running. four bonfires burning in the park as they leave. And the police are like, okay, bye. And they leave too. There's just dry grass and leaves with four bonfires. Perfect. I mean, if this was California. Yeah. Can't do that. Shake gives BB permission to leave, but then slaps Pandy once she's gone. Pandy goes back upstairs and sings a song about how she has redeemed herself. Now I've opened up my eyes And I can see how lost I've been I was so empty and numb inside Now I'm full of feeling again BB makes it to Alfie's house and knocks on the door. She asks if he's here, and then the landlord says, no, he took his things and he left this morning. But I hear he's out living under a bridge. <laughs> Go out under the bridge. You know, with all those old bums. Go find him. He needs you. BB joins a duet with Pandy, singing about how they have found themselves. Because they're both good guys now, and they've escaped the, the clutches of the BIM. The old man from the commune introduces himself to BB, and he offers to lead her to her friend. They enter an underground cavern, and suddenly, the old man is singing a song. Light my way, child of love. Light my way, child of love. 
Shine on me, child of love. Shine on me, child of love. Be my eyes, child of love. Be my eyes, child of love. The set for this cavern is just the hell stage from before, but without red lights shining That's on That's awesome. It. I didn't realize it the first time. When she finds Alfie, he pulls the bim mark off her forehead and they hug. During the song, we flash forward in time. Alfie has a beard and BB's holding a two-year-old baby. Apparently, we flash forward in time because yeah. there really is no indication that we've moved forward in I time. I think a- just the beard. Well, the beard and the baby. Is- yeah, but it could be someone else's baby that she was holding. Or I something. guess. I, I don't think that's the implication. No, it's definitely hers. But I think that the beard is what sells that it's definitely time has passed. They hear footsteps approaching the camp. An army of BIM police approach the commune in a field, and they all stand and run, but are quickly ensnared in a circle of riot police. As Boogalow and Shake approach, Alfie sees them from his fantasy again as the snake and devil. They tell the old man they're here to arrest Bibi. Bibi steps forward to identify herself, and the men claim that she owes BIM Incorporated $10 million for walking out on her contract. I guess. I mean, like, we never really established... That that is why they don't say why she owes ten million dollars. She just well, owes yeah, them. but it's just a, a, they had a contract with her and she walked out of it, so she's definitely violating it. The whole commune is being marched across the field to be arrested when Alfie confides in BB that Mr. Tops is coming to save the day. Who's Mr. Tops? I don't. We know. haven't introduced him yet. <laughs> I I thought for sure I had missed something. Nope. nope. Nobody has said anything about Mr. Tops, but Deus Ex Machina, Mr. Tops drives up. Uh, he's driving a flying car. It's a golden Rolls Royce that just floats out of the sky. It's half transparent. And then Mr. Tops gets out and he rides up to the line of police. When they try to arrest him, they find themselves frozen. Who the hell are you? They call me Mr. Tops. Sergeant, arrest that man. I can. What do you mean you can't? I can't with my legs. I'm paralyzed. Mr. Tops invites BB and Alfie into his sky car. The business partners of Mr. Boogalow hold up warrants they have to arrest these people, and Mr. Topps snaps his fingers to erase the warrants from existing. They literally <laughs> just vanish out of their hands. Pandy and the others from the commune follow Alfie and Bibi to heaven. So this is essentially a death cult in the park. See, I don't know that they're dying because Mr. Topps says he's going to start over. Right. And he's going to put them on some other planet. Called heaven. Yeah, but it's just... I mean, the implication is obviously that he's God and Boogaloo is the devil. Right, but if you carry that to its conclusion, then after Eve ate the apple, they got kicked out of paradise. They didn't get invited to a paradise after. Well, I know. That's why this analogy doesn't really <laughs> yeah, hold through true. for the rest of the movie. <laughs> it's also weird. I Sorry, I would go back to that scene, but it bothered me in the movie that Elfie is the one trying to convince her to eat the apple and not shake who's dressed as the snake oh you, you mean the, the other guy oh you dandy. said alfie. oh sorry not yeah. elfie yeah it bothers me that um what is dandy. his name dandy dandy offers her the apple yeah yeah or is he pandy no he's dandy he's, he's dandy, dandy. <laughs> mr tops tells mr boogalow that he's going to take these people far away and start over but without him without me but my dear tops you know that isn't possible the world simply can't exist without me let's give it a try Mr. Tops joins the Sky People, and presumably they form a new planet somewhere, or they all just shared some poisoned acid and died in this scene. But the actor playing Mr. Tops is the same guy playing the old man from the commune. Yeah. With all the children that he's collected. (laughs) That's the end of our film. Everybody dies in the park. It takes place in 1994 because the screenwriters had set it in 1984 as an Orwell reference, but Golan thought 84 wasn't futuristic enough, so he (laughs) just just added 10. (laughs) 
Which I, I would have made so much more sense to do 2084 because it would yes. be more futuristic and you still get to keep the 84. Mm-hmm. Yes. But uh, that didn't happen. In 2008, the silent movie theater booked the print for a screening and MGM sent over uninspected reels marked screen print, which was actually the original preview print <gasps> of the film and no. included many additional scenes and complete versions of the I'm coming and child of love sequences oh man so there's there's longer versions than we're in the movie of both of those songs <laughs> this is i think our second film with an mst3k version although this one had technically it was a riff tracks but it's the same guys that do the mst3k voices writer director menahem golan he's the founder with cousin yoram globus of golan globus films in 79 they bought the failing canon group He has produced 225 films between 1964 and now, including Happy Hooker Goes Hollywood and Schizoid so far this year. Some of his better-known titles include Enter the Ninja, Death Wishes 2, 3, 4, and 5, Breakin', Exterminator 2, Delta Force, Invasion USA, Cobra, Invaders from Mars, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 from Toby Hooper, Uh, Invaders from Mars Mars and Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Alan Quartermain and the Lost City of Gold, Over the Top, which he directed, Superman 4 and the 1990 Captain America TV mm. movie. There's there's some ups and downs in there for me as yeah. you know. <laughs> uh because of their work on the Captain America TV movie, they were approached after every other studio turned them down for the Spider-Man rights in the late 80s. Screen Rant has a really wonderful article about this, but at one point Toby Hooper was expected to direct with Tom Cruise as Spider-Man, Bob Hoskins as Doc Ock, which I love. Yeah. I love that casting. Stan Lee wanted to play J. Jonah Jameson himself, but then they showed him the script and it turned out they literally had no idea what Spider-Man was. So it was a story about a mad scientist who creates mutant people and made an eight-limbed half-spider, half-man that rebels against the scientist. <laughs> and Stan Lee just shut the whole thing down. <laughs> Weirdly enough, though, that's not the worst unproduced Spider-Man script floating around if anyone's read the James Cameron <laughs> draft oh, no. that he threw together over a weekend. It's very weird. Kobe Recht wrote the story on this and a lot of the music. Uh, he also has soundtrack credits for every song in the film. He played Jean-Louis in the film. He is the bartender that was the reporter at the beginning um, who was speaking in, I think, French and then Italian. The other story writer was Iris Recht, his wife. She co-wrote the music with Kobe and she played Dominique in the film. I have no idea who Dominique is. I don't remember either. Hmm. DP David Garfinkel, he's worked on lots of Golan Globus stuff, Enter the Ninja, Delta Force, Over the Top. More recently, he worked on, not extremely recently, but he worked on the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3, the one that's uh, back in uh, feudal Japan. Editor Elaine Jakubowicz, it sounds like I'm saying Elaine with an E, but it's A-L-A-I-N. He edited Delta Force, Invaders from Mars, and Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 for Golan Globus. He was also brought on to replace editor Dove Honig, who routinely fought with Golan on set, once literally with a fist fight. And one day when Honig told Golan that a shot was blatantly out of focus, he just fired him <laughs> off the set. And he's like, fine, get out of here. Uh, the choreography was done by Nigel Lithgow, who later became the head judge and producer of So You Think You Can Dance. Catherine Mary Stewart played BB. She was Maggie Gordon in The Last Starfighter. She's Gwen Saunders in Weekend at Bernie's and Regina Belmont in Night of the Comet. She also recently provided the voice of Moira in Red Dead Redemption 2. George Gilmore played Alfie. Just this. This is the only thing. <laughs> That's amazing to me. 
that like they got all these people that basically just did this. Yep. And they did it. Most of the names were just this. Right. And and but what amazes me is how well they did this. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that this movie suffers from the performances. Grace Kennedy played Pandy. This was her only feature, and she performed all of her songs. Uh, you can't say the same for Catherine Mary Stewart. She was being sung over. Oh, was she? she? Was, yeah, she I was, was actually really impressed by her vocals. I yeah. mean, I figured that she had recorded the tracks and then they, they you know, did, did playback for her, but you're saying she, she wasn't the singer. No. Uh, the plan was to have her sing, at, but when they did the audition, Golan was like, this girl was really good. She actually looked like what I envisioned for the character, and the writer agreed that she looked like the character, and so he lied and said, oh, and she's a great singer she's she's a wonderful singer so they cast her and then they found out oh she's never sang in anything mm. and they tried to teach her to sing but they couldn't get her up to speed by the time they started shooting so then they hired this other person to sing for her but um the actress has said that she's ecstatic to have this like the film made this way and she would much rather have a talented singer dubbed over her than yeah. what she felt like she wasn't up to well they picked a very good singer her, her vocals are great yeah Alan Love played Dandy. He plays himself in a movie called Rockula. Joss Ackland played Mr. Tops, a.k.a. the hippie leader. He played Cheria in Caligula and Inspector Vandervald in Rough Cut earlier this year. He's also Van Hoyten in A Zed in Two Knots, Arjun Rudd in Lethal Weapon 2, Andre Lysenko in Hunt for Red October, and Denomalos, the villain of Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, named after screenwriter Ed Solomon's name backwards. Uh, he's also Hans in the Mighty Ducks and Mighty Ducks 3, but mm. I don't remember who Hans is. No. Nah. Vladek Shabal played Mr. Bugalo. He's Kronstein in From Russia with Love and Brachenko in Red Dawn. He also played Le Chiffre's representative in the 1967 Casino Royale, which is funny because somewhere in one of these songs he says Casino, Casino Royale, Royale yeah. in the lyrics of the song. And then mm. they cut right from there to like a roulette table, but most of Casino Royale is around a baccarat table. Mm-hmm. The world is nothing but a big casino royale. Ray Shell played Shake. This was his first film. He also appeared as Murray in Velvet Goldmine, and he plays Carl the Drummer in the upcoming The United States versus Billy Holiday from director Lee Daniels. Miriam Margoyles played the landlady. She's Mrs. Mingott in The Age of Innocence. She's the nurse in Romeo plus Juliet. She's also Professor Pomona Sprout in a couple of Harry Potter movies, yeah. and we just had her as the doctor in The Awakening, where Charlton Heston's wife was birthing a mummy ghost. I think it's really funny, because in this movie, you know, she's she's playing a very, what seems like an old lady. I think mm-hmm. I think they painted her hair to look grayer and well, stuff. She's like 39. But yeah. she looks the exact same as she does in the Harry Potter movies 35 years later. Right, but I think that she was really young in this movie, but yeah. they had her sort of playing as if she's an old lady, and yep. I'm like, you're probably the same age as this guy that you're talking to right yeah. now. <laughs> Derek Dedman played Bulldog. He was an apprentice armorer in Jabberwocky. He plays Robert in Time Bandits mm-hmm. and yeah. Bill in the Department of Works in Brazil. I recognized him immediately from those roles i'm yeah. like that chin i know that chin and i was just like i and and the funny thing is in time bandits he's wearing those same fangs that yeah. he's wearing in this movie <laughs> um he also played a porter in never say never again and a taxi driver in european vacation i think that's from the scene where they get in the accident like they get in two accidents right in different places there's one in france and there's one in england and mm-hmm. in england everyone's being super polite and in france they're just screaming yeah. at each other but in england they keep hi- repeatedly hitting eric idle riding a bicycle yeah <laughs> um 
he also played Neelock in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Uh, I'm assuming Neelock is one of the the Merry Men. No, um, in in later in the movie, they hire a bunch of like Celts and uh, to oh, okay. to to raid Robin Hood's camp. And I'm imagining he's one of them. Michael Logan played James Clark. He's Alistair Tudsbury in The Winds of War, which is one of those sweeping miniseries that Dan Curtis produced after Dark Shadows. George S. Clinton was Joe Pittman. Yeah. He's a very accomplished composer who cut his teeth on a number of Golden Globus titles like Avenging Force at American Ninjas 1 and 2. He also composed the scores for the fourth and fifth Cheech and Chong outings, Still Smoking and the Corsican Brothers. He did the Mortal Kombat soundtrack in 1995. He did Beverly Hills Ninja, Austin Powers 1, 2, 3, Wild Things, 3KMTG, The Santa Claus 2 and 3. He was the music supervisor on this film. Apparently, this was his first time working with a symphony orchestra, Mm -hmm. which he had to conduct for the soundtrack, and he conducted it with a pair of chopsticks because he didn't have a wand. (laughs) He also wrote the lyrics. Yes, he translated them from Hebrew. He he translated them. Yeah. Uh, And uh, Jesse and I worked with this guy. Yeah, most Uh, importantly. He did the soundtrack for Mike Judge's film Extract. And he was very funny. He is hilarious. I loved him. He's just such a goofy, fun guy to be around. It Um, was a pleasure to work with him. One time, so he has this recording studio in his backyard. Yeah. It's like a a whole separate house with all of his equipment and everything. And uh, I had to deliver stuff to him regularly and, and collect things from him. And so one time I went over to his house and... They told me, oh, just go on in. He's waiting for you. So I go to open the door, and I'm looking around, and there's nobody in this studio. It's just empty. And then he just jumped out from behind the door to freak <laughs> me out <laughs> because he's just a really funny guy. Um, but, yeah, so he, he's a good guy. Um, I, I have nothing but nice things and to say about him. The second I saw him in this movie, I, I, it, I didn't put two and two together. Because is... when I saw him, his hair was always brushed straight oh, up. Oh, yeah, he had, he had great, you know, this long crazy hair that he'd brush up but i recognized him immediately but not i didn't know where from i'm just like this guy looks so weirdly familiar <laughs> who is joe Pittman? and i looked at him like oh my god it's george of clinton of course it is <laughs> uh wendy baldock played a dancer she comes back as a dancer in the formula later this year and then nothing until playing a washerwoman in the live action beauty and the beast and mamma mia 2 back to back almost 40 years later that's determination just don't give up on your dreams. You can end up in a Beauty and the Beast remake. An unnecessary one at that. Jane Faith played another dancer. She's also back for the formula, so I'm going to bet they're friends. Scott McKee played a dancer. He has literally two acting credits. He was a dancer here, and he was an ape in 2001. A space okay. odyssey. No telling which ape. <laughs> and then Femi Taylor played a dancer, and she's Ula the Twi'lek from Return of the Jedi. Oh. Yeah. Um, those were all the credits I had. It's another dancing role too, though. Yes, because she's the one with the long yeah thingies. I don't yeah. know what they are. They're hair legs. I don't know. <laughs> hair legs. Yes, she's the dancing hair legs lady. They're called Twi'leks. That's what, that's what those yeah. are called. I don't know these nerd terms. <laughs> uh, I like this movie because of the energy. And because of the work that went into it, you can tell that someone's entire heart was poured into this film. For sure. This is a big thumbs up just just because it's wildly entertaining. It's yes. not a great movie, but it's really fun to watch. And I would definitely tell people to watch it just because it's so ridiculously fun. 
insufferable. This movie <laughs> not insufferable. was insufferable. And I was just like, oh my God, there are so many songs. But it's, it's not even 90 minutes terrible. long. They're t- but they're catchy, terrible. Ugh. <laughs> they're fun. I think, that, I think they're fun. I, th- I think that they're silly and they're fun. And I, I just love Mr. Boogaloo. Like, that character yes. is so perfect. Uh, it's like, he tosses off these lines like, she's married. And then everyone's like, what? What? What is he talking about? And he's like, to the bim. And then everyone's <laughs> like, ah, ha, 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 ha. so good. Good joke. And he just totally pulls off this character who's like the height of fashion and has all these people eating out of his hands. But uh, he's he's just 110% every scene. He's yes. just... Um, super entertaining. Every face he makes is wonderful. Yeah, he um, definitely makes the movie. Yeah. So that's a that's a thumbs down from you, Richard. It's a thumbs down. <laughs> All right. I, Two thumbs up and, and one thumbs down. All right, Jess, where's this going on your list? So as per usual, just restating that my list is the order in which I want to watch them. Yeah. Uh, I actually have it at number 60. Okay. So it's it's pretty high for what isn't like a great movie. Yeah. Um. But it's it's right below something that I put in a very similar category, Battle Beyond the Stars. Okay. Which is, I think, just an entertaining, you know, crazy, weird, silly movie that yep. is, is fun to watch. Um, and it's just above the man with Bogart's face. Uh, you know, but it's a few below Xanadu. Like, it's again, it's just kind of this. All those are pretty close together it's, on my it's, list here, it's too. Like, it's got this similar feel to that for me. Richard. Oh, boy. Uh, it's way down there. Um, putting it, but I'm put, it's in good company with uh, a fellow Golan Globus film. Uh, <laughs> it's right above Happy Hooker Goes Hollywood at number one thirty three. All right, uh, and just below He Knows You're Alone. I have it right in between you guys. It's in eightieth. Um, it's just under Fade to Black and just above Motel Hell, but that's two below Man with Bogart's Face five below xanadu and six below battle beyond the stars so they're all yeah. kind of in the same place but yeah. lower on my list but they're so fun to watch <laughs> they are they are fun there's no denying that i think that's everything for this one if you guys have any thoughts you'd like to share with us we are vintage video pod on twitter facebook instagram and letterboxd or as i've said before you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year we can also be found at vintagevideopodcast.com Please consider rating us on iTunes to help people find the show. And if you take the time to leave us a review, we will thank you personally in an upcoming episode. If you're feeling especially generous, you can also support the show through patreon.com slash vintage video podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing falling in love again, which IMDb describes like so. While struggling with his midlife crisis, ugh, already another one of these. Yeah. Harry receives an invitation for his high school reunions. There's an extra word in here. Harry receives an invitation for his high school's reunion back. So he takes Sue and their teenage kids on a cross-country trip back to the Big Apple. So the, the word back is just extra in the middle. He gets Gotta a, love the IMDb summaries. Yeah. <laughs> for his high school reunion, so he takes Sue and their teenage kids on a cross-country car trip back to the Big Apple. We leave you now with the trailer for Falling in Love Again. When life seems to be moving too fast. Everybody lives so far away from one another. What kind of neighborliness does that make for? And you long for the simpler days. I'm going to teach you how to kiss. The only cure is to go back in time. That's why we're going back to the Bronx. To recapture your youth. 
I'm in love. But I ain't telling who. Huh. They forced me. Huh? Better you should fall in love with Rita Hayward. Redefine your dreams. I think Tom's kind of cute. And if you're lucky, fall in love all over again. I've tried everything in the world to make you love me. I changed my I changed my looks. I changed my hairdo. I dressed differently. I love you! Falling in love again. Pop, I'm getting married. <laughs> what is this, some kind of crazy joke? Starring Elliot Gould, Susanna York, Stuart Paul, and Michelle Pfeiffer in the role that began her triumphant career. Falling in love again. Sometimes once just isn't enough. <laughs>